if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are underway on this Wednesday, the 28th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. You know, every day I start this show and I listen to President Reagan's words, and I can almost recite it now because I listen to it at the start of the show and at the start of the second hour most days, unless we're short on the clock. I can almost recite the entire thing, but part of it, jumps out at me toward the end of those uh, words from his 1980 inaugural address um, when President Reagan says, peace is the greatest aspiration of Americans. And he says, we will sacrifice for it, but we will never surrender for it. Um, It just struck me. I'm, I'm going off the cuff here. Is peace really the overwhelming aspiration of most Americans I don't know that we can say that very confidently anymore you know what I mean by that I mean I believe that peace is the is the you know most important goal and aspiration for people listening to this radio program I believe that peace is number one on our list peace within our borders peace around the world so that we don't have to spend money and blood uh, fighting to defend our allies or to defend people who cannot defend themselves. I believe peace for people who are conservative-minded is is absolutely the number one goal. I think the president's right there, but I don't know that I can say that about the rest of the country. If you take a look at the headlines each day, and I do because we discuss them each day, um. I would say division, and I would say that rancor, and I would say that chaos, if not outright violence, is the goal and the aspiration of leftist Americans. I mean, is there anything going on in leftist America today that is done and created, or intended rather, to create peace among our people in our country? There is nothing unifying about anything that the leftists in America 
are doing right now. Nothing unifying at all. It is all divisive. It, it is all intended to inflame, to stoke fear, to stoke fires, quite frankly, both literal and figurative. If you look at the rioting American cities, it's literal. And if you look at other places where the, you know, the, the boil of anger between two different ideologies is just, it's, it's just fierce. Um, their overwhelming goal is not peace. Their overwhelming goal is division and eventually, dare I say, destruction. It's an age-old communist tool. It's, it's, it's about divide and conquer. You cannot conquer this great capitalist republic, this free market economy, this world superpower militarily, this beacon of light and freedom. You cannot conquer it from without. It has to be done from within. And if you want to change it into something that is more in line with your worldview, which leftists do, including the last Democrat president before this Democrat president, both of whom declared their desire to fundamentally change this country into from, from what it is into something that they want it to be, which is Marxist, communist, giant government handing down edicts to a helpless population collecting all that they'd make or at least so much of it so much of it that they can no longer make their own decisions and then doling it out as needed according to the government you can't do that from without you can only do it from dividing within divide and conquer and right now the goal is not peace president reagan with all due respect in 1980 when he made those uh, those those statements in his uh, 1981, technically, in his inaugural address, January 20th, 1981. I don't know that that's true today. We'll explore that a little bit more. But I cannot start the show, although I kind of just did, uh, without our Pledge of Allegiance. As always, uh, we like to uh, remind everybody of the greatness of this country, and let's pledge our allegiance to her. If you are a patriot, please stand and put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a leftist, well, go ahead and take a knee. We know that's what you're doing anyway. And yes, that is indoctrination. And that, my friends, is an indoctrination that I can absolutely support and sign off on. Our children must be indoctrinated with real American history and with real love and patriotic support of country. This country is the greatest place that humanity has ever seen. And this country needs to be defended by those who love it. And we need to teach our children to love it. So, yes, the indoctrination of children through the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem must and will continue. Um, I want to I start, actually, if I may, with a couple of pieces of good news. Because, you know, each and every day, I tell you, we go through the headlines together, and I'll, I'll pick my top story of the morning, and I'll monologue on it. 
And almost invariably, they are negative. Here's the latest piece of death and destruction uh, put forth by the liberal Democrat left-wing communist party, fascist and communist, quite frankly. There's a very razor-thin difference between the two. And uh, and they're almost, you know, this is what we're fighting against now. But I, I have seen a few positive headlines in my work yesterday and this morning in preparing for the show. And I thought, you know what? This might be kind of a fun thing to do just once in a while if I have a few positive headlines just to stop our brains from exploding over all of the negativity. Let's hit some of those positive headlines. Then we'll come back and talk about the ultimate divide and conquer that the left is is uh, engaged in here. But a couple of positive news stories. The Idaho State Senate voted on Monday to pass non-discrimination legislation that prohibits schools in Idaho from forcing students to personally affirm, adopt, or adhere to critical race theory teachings. HB 377 aimed to prevent schools and universities from teaching students of certain demographics that they are inferior or superior to other students or that they are inherently responsible for actions committed in the past by other members of the same demographics. The bill is Idaho's statement that we will not tolerate discrimination and we, we are reserving education policy and curricular choices to the state and local institutions and schools, said State Republican Representative Wendy Horman, who co-authored the, uh, the legislation in her floor speech. That is extraordinarily important. Yesterday, I spoke about this uh, in some depth with um, two individuals, actually. Uh, I spoke with uh, uh, Peter Kersenow. Uh, yesterday at 10 o'clock, and I spoke with Dan, uh, I'm going to say his name incorrectly again, uh, Reginald. I, I keep wanting to say Reginald. It's not, it's Reginald. Dan Reginald with uh, 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 e, uh, e University Ohio, I believe it is. Uh, I've got to remember his his organization's name. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's Empower U Ohio. Empower U. Like I said, I'm doing a lot of this off the cuff today. Empower You Ohio, who filed the lawsuit against the state of Ohio Board of Education to make sure that they do not allow schools to teach critical race theory. Then Peter Kersenow and I discussed it in much, much more depth than that. And we talked about it both in both interviews, how you know a governor can do this by way of a governmental order, but a legislature can do this as well. And we talked about how Governor DeWine, just being as weak and spineless and mealy-mouthed as he is, will not do anything of the sort. Uh, he is the furthest thing from a red state governor. Um, perhaps we can convince our legislature to do the same. So the fact that Idaho just did this is an example that it can be done. This will now head to the governor of Idaho's desk, and you better believe it will be signed. All right, good piece. Uh, uh, good news, piece number two. Linney's Pub down in Cincinnati. You perhaps have heard of it. You don't know what it is. It's obviously it's a pub. It's a sports bar that generally shows on a lot of TVs, like a lot of sports bars near you do, uh, professional sports games. Lenny's Pubs announced, a pub rather, announced uh, just three days ago that they would no longer show the NBA on their screens until LeBron James is removed from the league. Jay Lineman is the owner of Linney's Pub. He publicly announced no more NBA games until he was expelled from the league. LeBron James mocked the move with a tweet that said, Aw, damn, I was headed there to watch our game tonight and have a drink. Welp, as if to say, you know, this is only going to hurt you. So how is this a good news story? The good news story is that by Tuesday, um, 
Linney's pub owner, Jay Lineman, says he has had a flood of positive and negative response, but it is resulting in a flood of new business. Linney's has never been busier. That is outstanding news. So a, 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 a sports bar owner pledges not to show certain sports, and rather than losing his customer base over that, he has expanded and grown it because he took a stand on principle. I love it. There's actually a, a little marquee that they have on a gas station sign outside of Lenny's Pub uh, that says, Hey, LeBron, the West Side thanks you. Lenny's has never been busier. That is outstanding. So congratulations to Lenny's. You made a, a principled call, and it is paying off. So that is great. Um, this one is a good news story wrapped in a bad news story. A runner in Bend, Oregon, a high school runner named Maggie Williams of Summit High School in Bend, Oregon, finished her 800-meter race last week by collapsing at the finish line, collapsing because she had no air. She was literally at a negative oxygen ratio. Why? Because the idiots in Oregon state government and apparently in that school district, required the competitors to wear masks when running. Now, I don't know about you. If I even run to the refrigerator, I'm going, (sighs) and you need every bit of oxygen you can get. Can you imagine running 800 meters or more? You know, that's only a half mile. 1,600 meters is the full mile. And if they made them wear the masks too, forget about it. Maggie's coach, Dave Turnbull, said Williams, with her mask on, suffered complete oxygen debt. He said, I've been doing this for 31 years. I've never seen anyone basically lose consciousness because of a lack of oxygen. But that's exactly what happened here because of this ridiculous mask craziness. So, Bob, why is this a good news story? Because immediately after this outrage, immediately after this terrible, terrible incident that who knows could have taken the young girl's life, could have caused her, you know, immeasurable, immeasurable damage, not being a physician, I don't know what kind. They changed the rule. The OHA, that's the Oregon uh, High School Association, said Monday it will no longer require high school athletes to wear masks during non-contact outdoor sports. So good news, like I said, coming out of it, uh, uh, what could have been a tragedy. Of course, it's not all good because they still just said non-contact. If you are playing another outdoor sport that is considered to be contact, including baseball, where all of the fielders are way more than six feet apart from one another, and the only time they'll come in contact with one another is if there's a base runner, baseball still has to wear them. But nonetheless... They at least made a move on this one. And one more quick goody, good good news story before we come back in and talk about the division. Berea School Board. You know what I just did a few moments ago? Berea schools are going to do it every day. A concern raised by a community member to the Berea Board of Education in March has led to the Pledge of Allegiance being offered for students district-wide to recite daily in their classrooms. Superintendent Tracy Wheeler indicated that the April 12th Board of Education work session that she had known that the district's administration guideline 
of reciting the Pledge of Allegiance was not being applied consistently. Board members also seemed unaware of the disparity. After researching the issue, they learned that students at uh, Berea uh, Elementary schools, schools say the pledge daily, while the middle schools recite it once a week. High schools say the pledge only during ceremonial events. Now it will be offered for everybody at every school every morning. So good news there from Berea schools as well. All right, that's going to be our good news for the day because we've got a lot of uh, really important and not-so-good news to discuss, which we'll do on the other side of this time out on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 927. Kind of forgot to give you the rundown of our guest list today. Coming up in about uh, eight minutes at 935, Congressman Jim Jordan will make good on his miss from Monday's program when he was traveling. So Jim Jordan at 935. Then at 1010, Olivia Rondeau will be joining us. She is a high school wrestler, a female wrestler, obviously, who wants to wrestle other females. There is already boys wrestling and always has been. Now some boys who have decided, I like lipstick, say, I'm a girl, and they want to go and beat up the girls. She is not having it, and we're going to talk to her about that at 1010 this morning. Let me get a phone call in here from Navy Man Norm in Strongsville before we continue. Hey, Navy Man Norm, good to talk to you, sir. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. I just want to comment on your opening of the wonderful John Kerry appeasement and surrender of the United States to foreign governments that do not have our interests at heart, China, Iran. He did this two years ago when President Trump was in office, and I could never understand why he wasn't arrested for sedition. He was doing um, a violation, I believe, of the Hatch Act by going to Iran on his Mm -hmm. knees like he always does. He's always on his knees and begging them uh, uh, not to do anything until after the Trump administration was gone. This man is a disgrace to the country. He's a disgrace to uh, the presidency, but of then we know who, of course, who is the person occupying the White House. I refuse to call him president. He's illegitimate. But we've come to a point in our time, Bob, where we have to accept, and by we, I mean people like yourself, me, and all your listeners, we are in the battle for the heart and soul of our country, that there's at least probably... I'm going to guess and say 30 to 40 percent of our country that is sworn to destroy it. They are against us, and they're going to try to destroy it by any means necessary. Uh, God forbid that we get in a civil war, but I can't see anything but. And I'm tired of seeing people like Kerry uh, march around the world, and just like with his climate change, uh, zero emissions isn't good enough. Zero emissions isn't good enough? Are you that stupid? You know, your wife, Teresa For those who don't know what you mean by that, real quick, Norm, for those who don't know what you mean, John Kerry uh, stated last week after the climate summit that we are no longer targeting zero emissions. We have to remove carbon from the atmosphere completely. Do you know what that would Mm -hmm. mean, Norm? Oh, exactly. (laughs) No, no, I mean specifically, do you know know what that would mean in order to make sure there is zero carbon uh, going into our atmosphere? All of us would have to do this. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. I'm holding my breath. 
I'm literally yeah. holding my breath because that's what we would all have to do because it's what 330 million Americans and 7 billion people on this planet exhale. We exhale carbon. So in order to right. have zero carbon, he would have to exterminate humanity. This, this is the, this is the guy that Joe Biden put in charge of our climate policy. Somebody who wants all of humanity to stop existing. Yes. And, and this is exactly why we have to work doubly hard for 2022. We have to put the right people in office and especially at our local levels. I want to give a Please shout out to the, real quick to the shout people. out because I just realized we're late to Jim Jordan. Uh, what's that shout out? Go ahead, sir. Berea board of education. God bless ah. you for remem- remembering the pledge of allegiance, which is not, unfor- which is unfortunately not sent said in all of our classrooms. Right. And, Thanks, and, and you're right. That is, thank you, my friend. I appreciate the phone call. That is good news. Let's get out and come back in with Jim Jordan next. The answer. Been down a broken road now. I've been through that fire. Okay, 9.36, uh, diving right back into it on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to welcome Congressman Jim Jordan to our program on a Wednesday. Congressman Jordan was traveling on Monday for his normal visit, so uh, we're glad to have the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee with us today. Congressman, good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, Bob. Uh, good morning to you. Good to talk to you, as always. So, Congressman, there's a lot of individual issues that I want to talk to you about this morning, mm-hmm. but I want to start with an overall summary here. Um, I, I love, uh, really, over the course of the four years of the Trump administration, uh, every time we would talk, and oftentimes on television interviews, you would run down a list of all the things President Trump got done, mm-hmm. you know, over to that point in his presidency. Yeah. And it was always fun to listen to. Do you have a similar list now, if I ask you yeah. to summarize Joe Biden's first 100 days? in office yeah created a crisis on the border added two trillion to the debt getting ready to propose another two trillion tonight if you think you can believe the news report <laughs> um and and uh limited your first amendment liberties i mean tonight bob your member of congress is some some american citizens their member of congress won't even be allowed to go to the capitol no, never mind the fact that you can't get to your capital and to petition your your government uh, your, your representative to redress your grievances so you, you have this going on, and they're attempting to pack the court, federalize election law, and pass the Green New and a host of other things. So that's their list, and it's, it's, it's frankly rather frightening. But the, the thing that scares me the most is what they're, what they're doing to your First Amendment liberty. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That is the most dangerous thing I think that we face, or at least among them, because it, it affects all of the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's view of Biden's first 100 days, uh, she articulated a couple of days ago, and she said it is far surpassing anything that progressives actually hoped for. She feared he might be the moderate that he had a reputation as being for 40-some years in the Senate and maybe during his vice presidency for Barack Obama, but she said he has surpassed progressive goals. That's very troubling to me. Yeah, she feared he might actually do what he said. You know, most of the time we we want politicians to do what they said. Biden said he was going to be moderate. That's what he campaigned on. Uh, That's why he got the nomination in South Carolina. They said, we don't want Bernie Sanders. So a year ago, a little over a year ago, 13 months ago, he got the nomination based on the fact he said, I'm not going to be radical and crazy like Bernie Sanders and and, and the left, hard left in their their party. And yet when he gets in office, he doesn't do what he said and goes radical left. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's not what the American people bargained for. That's not what they, I, I think, uh, those who voted for him, I don't think that's what they voted for. 
But that's uh, that's who he is. The reps. I mean, they want to federalize elections. They want to pack the court. They want to add two new senators by making D.C. a state on top of the four trillion in spending they want to do. Um, and, and, and all the other crazy policies that have been proposed. You made some strong statements about the uh, D.C. statehood, statehood uh, push and uh, the passing of that in the House. Of course, it's not going to get through the Senate, not with a filibuster in existence. Uh, but uh, is, it, is it just as simple as we want two more senators? Are there other ulterior motives for wanting to make D.C. the 51st state? No, it's pure political power. I mean, the founders recognize that the seat of government is a different place. It is not a state. That's why it's in the Constitution the way it is. And you've got to change the 23rd Amendment on, on the electoral votes that D.C. gets, frankly, if you're going to make a mistake. Um, so this is all about raw political power, which is what – I mean, think about how radical they are, Bob. Two weeks ago, the week started with Congresswoman Tlaib saying we should get rid of police. It ended with Maxine Waters being admonished by the trial judge in Minneapolis for her ridiculous and, and, and radical statement. And in between, what did they do? pass a bill to make D.C. a state and give them two new senators and propose, not just anybody, but the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, proposed packing the court. Not adding one, not adding two, not adding three, but adding four justices. Why do they want to add four justices? Because that gives them a majority. That makes it seven, six liberals on the court. So if, if, if it's all about raw political power for these folks and their radical left um, agenda. And you didn't even mention H.R. 1, which is, is potentially the most devastating piece of legislation yet, because it would effectively, I think, render all future elections uh, null and void. Yep. Uh, we can never trust them yep. again and probably never have a conservative majority again. So that, and, and you know, the most frustrating thing about this, Congressman, and this has to just kind of, you know, eat away at you and others, is that they are making all of these extraordinarily bold power grabs with the slimmest possible of majorities. Yeah. A dead tie in yeah. the Senate. Uh, they, they watch their lead of 21 seats in the House shrivel to about five, uh, and they have a president that won a very disputed election. They couldn't have a slimmer margin of victory, and yeah. yet they act like they have this massive national mandate to reform all of the government and really and the entire economy. Yeah, and they, and they always accuse us of being the ones who are divisive, the ones who aren't trying to unify. We're the ones trying to divide the country when they propose the things that they propose, and they do it, as you said, with the slimmest of majorities, uh, dead even in the Senate. Actually, right now, with, based on people who've left Congress, I, we only need three Democrats to switch uh, on, on, on any vote. If everyone's there, if three Democrats vote with us, the bill doesn't pass. That's how tight it is in the House. And as you point out, we had a, we had a, a presidential election that was uh, that, that, that left a lot of people wondering about uh, you know what? 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 Uh, what actually took place when you when you look at the fact that President Trump increases both with Hispanic Americans, African Americans got twelve million more votes, and on and on you go. So, um, yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. But yeah. that's that's who the left. That's who they are. Yeah, that is what the left is, and and this is what the left is, too. Let's get into some of the issues now, and he's going to have to talk about the border crisis, although he won't call it a crisis when he speaks tonight. He appointed uh, Vice President Harris to be the point person on dealing with the border crisis a month ago. I think it's been 30 days. She has not done a full press conference on it. She has not gone down to the border to see what's going on, talk to leadership, talk to Border Patrol, talk to uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement, talk to Homeland Security. She has done literally nothing. Jen Psaki, Madam Circleback was asked about this two days ago, and she said, well, what she's conducting is diplomacy now. She's going to go down in June down to Guatemala and talk to them down there about why 
why it is so many of their people want to come up to the United States. She's not the vice president of Guatemala. She is not the vice president of any of the triangle countries. She's the vice president of this country, and she's been tasked by her boss to deal with our southern border. She is ignoring that order. Who's really running the show here? Yeah, no, it's good. It's a, it's a great question. Uh, the president hasn't been to the border. <clears throat> the person he put in charge of the border crisis, the vice president, has not been to the border. When the secretary of uh, Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas, goes to the border, the press isn't allowed in to see what's going on in the holding facilities. That is the state of play with this uh, with, with this with this border chaos, border crisis. And of course, we know that when these uh, families come across, they're being, in some cases, within eight hours just sent somewhere in the country. And I'm sure there are people listening right now who've been on a plane, who've seen these people, and, and, and your heart goes out to them, but this is how crazy the policy is. They get just uh, a bus fare, airfare somewhere to the United States. They're in Ohio. They're in every state. Um, that's what's going on, and yet no one wants to go down there and actually address the situation, uh, a situation they created when they created when they uh, overturned and, and withdrew the policy that President Trump had in place. Congressman, let's talk about uh, policing. You mentioned what Rashida Tlaib said. Um, You recently wrote a letter to the secretary, and it's kind of funny. um, You know, uh, A.G. Merrick Garland has opened up a civil rights investigation into the police departments of Minneapolis where a police officer was tried and convicted uh, in a situation, and then also in Louisville, Kentucky, where officers were cleared in the death of, uh, of Breonna Taylor. Uh, and yet he is doing nothing about all of the death and destruction being caused in cities all over the country, including what you wrote about, Portland, Oregon. So you wrote a letter to A.G. Garland. You wrote a letter to uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas asking for what? We want, to, we want to know what's going on out there. We want to check. The, I mean, even the mayor, the liberal mayor out there, even he is now finally saying, hey, this has got to stop. You can't keep burning down. Last week, Bob they 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 uh they uh, uh vandalized the boys and girls club in portland so this has been going on almost for a year almost a year of almost a all out siege on the federal court building what the heck is going on what kind of investigation are you doing here after all we're talking about federal property that's been systematically attacked for 10 months so we'd like some answers that's why we wrote the wrote, uh, wrote the letter to uh to the attorney general yeah, and uh, do you expect an answer back? Because it, it appears to me that, you know, the Biden administration is going to do what it, the Biden administration does, regardless of any input or criticism or offers of assistance from Republicans. You know, this whole thing about where I'm going to be the yeah. Republican, or, or excuse me, I'm going to be the president of Republican states and of Democrat states. We're going to be all United States. But literally, no matter what you guys offer in the way of solutions or compromises, it is all rejected. Do you expect this to be any different? I don't. I mean, typically we, 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 you know, we get no response from, uh, from the administration when we inquire about these things. But I think they're important issues. The American people would like to know, uh, you know, their, their, their tax dollars involved and what's happening in one of our, you know, once great American cities. So, um, I think they'd like to know. But yeah, we, we typically don't get a response from them. They do their own thing. In contrast that, you know, everyone always said, oh, how partisan President Trump was. I remember part, uh, President Trump working with everybody on the first step act to reform our prison sentences and, and, and uh, how uh, people are treated, many, many uh, um, uh, people for nonviolent crimes, how he worked with everyone. To give. We worked with him. We supported that legislation. People on the left, I mean, it, it was that, that's how you're supposed to do it when you're president of the United States. But we have yet to see that um, from this administration. 
We're talking with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's 4th District Representative, also the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. You uh, have been busy writing letters, as a matter of fact. You wrote one uh, about a week ago to Major League Baseball, talking about uh, their decision to pull the All-Star game from uh, from Atlanta and to put it in Denver. And we have discussed the oddity of that, given the fact that Atlanta is a majority African-American city and Denver is an overwhelmingly white or Caucasian city. And yep. they chose to give 65 to $100 million dollars of economic growth and revenue to the all-white city as opposed to Atlanta, and somehow that's supposed to help African Americans. Uh, can you tell us the nature of your letter to Major League Baseball? Well, we want to know who he was talking to, how this decision was made, what correspondence did he have, if any. I mean, a, a question, I don't know if it took place. Was, was talking about Bobby Rob Manfred, right? Yeah, yeah. What was 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 the commissioner was Commissioner Manfred talking with? Was he talking with Stacey Abrams? I mean, I don't know that that took place, but we'd like to know how was this decision made, particularly when you like, as you said, Bob, you go to Colorado, which according to <clears throat> the left has more onerous uh, voting uh, requirements uh, and, and 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 safeguards in place than what the Georgia law does as far as uh, photo ID. And where where Major League Baseball is headquartered in New York City, they have an ID requirement there. So uh, it, it it looks like it was purely done for political reasons. And how about those small business owners who've been sucking it up for the last year in the Atlanta area who were looking forward to this happening, probably many of those businesses owned by minorities. Uh, how about those folks who have been, you know, now now they're not going to get this business that they were expecting and hoping for after a year of dealing with COVID. So those are the kind of questions that we'd like answers to. Uh, but my guess is we'll probably get the same treatment from Major League Baseball that we get from Democrats in the administration the uh the, the the frustrating or an additionally frustrating uh issue with this congressman jordan is the fact that while they think that the state of georgia and georgia's elected officials are so against democracy and in their allegations that uh you know they're trying to restrict voting rights to minorities or just restrict voting access period is that they have no problem with communist regimes that do business. And in fact, Major Great League point. Baseball has recently signed on an extension of their agreement with uh, the Chinese Communist Party, as well as Communist Cuba. Cuba. Uh, Cuba. They, yep. There's no democracy allowed there. As a matter of fact, it is suppressed with a boot heel. Yeah, it's all about the woke left doing what, what uh, it, everything is political now. Um, I, I did an interview last week where we were talking with Clay Travis in, 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 on Outkick, and we, we were talking about, why can't we just sports be sports? Or I'm, I'm old enough to remember, Bob, and you, you may as well, when, when we were kids, uh, sports were then, it was during the Cold War, and when, when the USA would take on the USSR in track and field, when, when the American team would go against the Russian team, it was I mean, 1980 Olympics in hockey. I mean, it was, it was a patriotic thing we saw. And then in professional sports, everyone stood for the anthem. It was about playing the game hard. Playing the game like the like the big red machine played baseball it wasn't about politics. It was about baseball. It was about competition. Things that are central to the the entire American experience. But now everything has become political, um, and it's. I think a lot of Americans have had it with that, and they'd like to see baseball just play baseball, and our other professional sports do the same. I'm going to put aside my hurt that you do interviews with other hosts. I didn't know that. I thought we had a, an agreement here. Uh, no, uh, I do want to circle back, though. I'm going to go Jen Psaki for a second and circle back to the policing issue for one last question, because you and I spoke last Monday. The shooting in Columbus happened on Tuesday, so I didn't get a chance to hear yeah. your thoughts on this. Nicholas Reardon, police officer, in 11 seconds from rolling up on a scene, saw a 16-year-old larger girl, I mean, we call her girl because she's 16, but she looked like a woman, but more importantly, mm-hmm. her size, 
It's the size of that blade that was in her hand. She attacked not yep. one but two different girls. And uh, before she could stab the uh, the second one that was pinned up against a car, in mid-knife swing, her arm cocked back and about to plunge that knife, she was shot and killed. LeBron James joined a chorus of mm-hmm. Democrat politicians and left-wing celebrities condemning the officer, using this to say another black person shot by police, rather than heroic officer saves two black lives yep. from being stabbed yep. to death. I, I, yeah. I mean, I know that there are controversial police actions that have happened that have led to robust investigations sure. and debates, but how is this one debatable? No, it's not. I mean, I, I, the, the, the obvious question is, what was the officer supposed to do? I mean, come on. It, it seems to me everything we can see, all the facts that we know right now, this guy was, as you said, uh, uh, doing his job, following his training, and likely saving another uh, individual from being maybe killed but certainly harmed so uh you know what was he supposed to do and yet again everything becomes political everything is driven by the left political narrative instead of the facts and what happened and the officers training and these police officers i mean what we're now asking police officers do what what the biden administration is asking border patrol agents to do i mean these guys bust their tail every day and it and, and and then when something like this happens they get attacked so it's it's got to be frustrating for them and their families, but I think it's frustrating for all of all of all of America who who has common sense and looks at this like, what in the world was the guy supposed to do? It looks like he handled his job exactly like you're supposed. To. Well, speaking of frustrating, I'm sure you're frustrated. There still hasn't been a full Judiciary Committee hearing in this entire Congress, has there? <laughs> the whole Congress. We've we've asked. We'd like my my orcas to come testify. Um, you know, the head of, of Homeland Security, we'd like him, him, him to come and testify about this border crisis. We've asked that the chairman, uh, but nothing yet. We'd like Christopher Ray from the FBI to come testify. There's like, lots of questions there. At some point, we'd like Merrick Garland to come in, the attorney general, uh, talk to him about some of the decisions he's making. As you started off this, uh, this morning when you, when you talked about the, what the investigations are doing in certain police departments. So mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of important things that I think the American people like to know about, but uh, we've yet to have a full hearing. Apparently not as important as whatever Jerry Nadler is doing instead of actually appearing and holding one of these uh, committee hearings. Yeah. Uh, Congressman yeah, Jordan. Pack the court. That's what he's doing. There, he's that, that's the what court. he's doing. There, that's why it's more important than actually chairing the committee that he oversees. That yes. is exactly right. Congressman, a lot of great content this morning. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Bob. Uh, there's, there's Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer. We'll be right back. Okay, 957. As we continue on uh, AM 1420, the answer, thanks to Congressman Jim Jordan, a lot of ground uh, that we covered there. Um, it, it, it Almost everything we hit kind of supported and reinforced my, my monologue point this morning about divisiveness, um, which was kind of a spur-of-the-moment monologue. As I said, I listened to President Reagan, and it just kind of struck me. So we went off the cuff there that, um, you know, President Reagan said that in 1981 that... Uh, you know, the greatest aspiration of the American people is peace, but we will never surrender for it. Uh, we will fight for it and sacrifice for it, but never surrender for it. And I don't think the greatest, if you just turn the radio on, uh, so you understand what I'm saying, and if you were already here, I apologize for the redundancy, but I don't think that for half of America, or maybe a little bit more, that peace is the greatest aspiration of the American people. I think the div- division is the greatest aspiration. Conflict is the greatest aspiration, because only through conflict can transformation arrive. 
if the United States is allowed to continue as is, as a free society, a free market economy, a capitalist economy, uh, a, a, you know, the land of the free and the home of the brave guided by the Constitution and laws built on the Constitution, this country will continue to be the, to be the greatest um, accomplishment in the history of humankind. However, if we can tear some of those things apart at the interior, well, then this thing can be destroyed. This republic, which Ben Franklin said is a republic if you can keep it, will not be able to be kept, and we will be subject to and we will be potentially uh, uh, you know, destroyed and replaced by a Marxist or communist style of government. Some people ask me, Bob, why do people talk about Marxism all the time right now? It used to be socialism. Now it's about Marxism. Well, first of all, there is a very, very little difference between the two, or the three, really. Socialism, communism, and Marxism are, are all built on the, the ideals put together by Karl Marx, for the most part. Um, but what we can agree upon is this, that no matter what you call it, socialism, communism, and Marxism collectively, and I'll use that word deliberately, collectively have resulted in the starvation oppression, and death of hundreds of millions of people in nations around the world that have used it and tried it, and people that have suffered under it. And if you think that we're so damn special, and excuse me for that, but I think I need to emphasize here, if you think that we are so damn special that it can never happen here, ask survivors of those countries in which Marxism has ruled the day. Socialism has been the governing principle. Communism has oppressed the people who survived it and landed here in America. Venezuelan expats, Cuban expats, Russian expats, Ukrainian expats, people who have suffered under the heavy hand of authoritarianism have all seen it rise in their nations and the devastating consequences, and they see it rising here and they're screaming at the top of their lungs stop this now before we become one of the countries that we just escaped because they know it can happen chew on that during the break we'll be right back after the news on am 1420 